Okie dokie. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Or good morning. Yeah. I should just walk right back out. All right. Take two. Good evening. Did you see how I left enough room for the edit? All right. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. Well, got to apologize for two things real quick. Number one, again, I'm not dressed too great. I'm breaking every Andy Castano rule you could possibly break. Probably every art of manliness rule as well. Um, but we are down to one car. The other two are in the shop and it was supposed to be ready. And then we get the call. Guess what? Weren't ready. So my wife, who normally brings me my change of clothes, was not able to. So I apologize. This is how I normally look. Sorry about that. That causes you to stumble. Um, my second apology is for my Ohio State shirt. I've already gotten a couple comments from people from Michigan, I assume. Sorry. Scoreboard hasn't changed. So, <laughs> so all right, so we're going <laughs> So, um we're going through this whole idea of the journey 180. We're walking through the Bible sort of piece by piece. We're taking a, a historical Look at the Bible. We're walking through it chronologically, um, according to history. Um, we've, we talked early on that um, the Bible is filled with a, a whole bunch of incredible, incredible stuff. And there's no way on earth we can um, finish this over the course of just um, a couple months. And so we said, Let, let's just place some signposts um, in our minds, some signposts. Um, that'll help us understand where certain events happen. And so we decided to pick six characters, Noah, Abraham, Moses, who's behind me, David, Daniel, and Jesus. Because, not because they were any greater than anybody, even though these are fairly significant characters in the Bible, especially that guy way down there. But these people are all around 500 years apart, uh, give or take uh, a few years. So um, we started with um, Noah, or we started with the, uh, in the beginning, God created, or in the beginning was, um, let's start this whole thing over. We started in Genesis. <laughs> in the beginning, God created. So we have no idea how long ago that was. If you take the Bible literal, um, it could be anywhere between six and 10,000 years ago, um, or it could be anywhere between 4.3 billion Um we get to Noah, and we know the, the stories between Genesis 6 and 9 um, deal with Noah, predominantly the flood, um, and then um, the sort of the new birth of, of humanity from those eight people that were on the ark. And we place that somewhere around uh, 2500 um, B.C. We get to Abraham, and it's about another 500 years. Um, Abraham starts in chapter 12 of Genesis, and from chapter 12 all the way through um, the cross... Um, we understand that the Bible really concentrates on just one family and their descendants, and that's Abraham and his descendants. So the Bible really just talks about um, this thread, and not that the Bible doesn't love what's happening in the Western Hemisphere or over in the Orient or up in Northern um, Europe. It just has nothing to do with the bloodline that leads to Jesus. So we place it around um, 2,000, and now we're, we're right around, we're in Exodus, we're talking about um, Moses um, and the Exodus and his rubbings with the... Uh, Egypt, we understand that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, 
um, had a son and his name was Joseph and Joseph was sold into slavery and we follow the story of Joseph towards the back end of Genesis and Joseph's a phenomenal story how someone rises from a shepherd all the way to the prince of Egypt. Um, there's a good chance um, that um, Joseph took place somewhere during the 12th dynasty of Egypt. For those of you here, um, last week we passed out those um, little sheets that gave one possibility of the chronology. There's several different chronologies um, in history. Um, the Bible doesn't give us dating or a chronology as far as um, Egyptian pharaohs or anything like that or what dynasty was where. Um, but we assume that Joseph, a good place for him would have been in the 12th dynasty. That would put Moses in around the 18th dynasty. Between Joseph and Moses was about 400 years to where um, Joseph and his family of 70 plus um, went from Prince of Egypt, number two, living well. Um, they multiplied and by the time Moses came on the scene, um, the pharaohs had totally forgotten about Joseph. They disliked the Israelites. Um, and that the Israelites grew somewhere at about 2 million people, if you take um, the numbers correct at the beginning of numbers. And so we get today, we've talked about the Moses and, and the burning bush and Moses' call, the excuses that he used. Um, this Sunday we talked um, about um, the Ten Commandments, the ten, the ten Plagues, the Ten Commandments, the crossing of the Red Sea. We talked about how if you, you see the Sinai Peninsula, which is sort of a little bit of an ice cream cone between Egypt, um, um, Egypt proper and Saudi Arabia, the Sinai Peninsula is named the Sinai Peninsula because of Sinai. Um, but we talked about that's probably not where Mount Sinai is. Um, that was sort of mislabeled by a, a, a Roman... Um, emperor's wife, some 300 years after Christ, she went down and went, oh, that looks like Mount Sinai, and she just labeled it that, and from then on it was called Mount Sinai. Um, we talked about if if the Israelites were actually going to cross and leave Egypt and flee Egypt, um, they would not have done it on the, the western side of the Sinai Peninsula because they would be fleeing Egypt just to flee right back into Egypt because the Sinai Peninsula at that time was all owned by Egypt. It was in Egypt. So they would most likely have crossed the sea on the other end of the Sinai Peninsula and fled into uh, Midian, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. So we talked about that a little bit. So we have some of those flyers back there. If you missed Sunday, um, we do have those. So tonight we're going to walk through the rest of Moses' story. And so there's a lot of coverage there. Obviously, we can't hit every story and every topic, but we will try to do some justice. And so... Um, We'll pray. We've got a couple of announcements and then we'll get going. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray that um, as we dig into your word that you will um, give us your wisdom uh, to be able to see things the way you see them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for men like um, Moses and Joshua and Aaron and just some of the greats of of the past who, by faith, um, you enabled them to accomplish great things. And Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, for the role they played um, in the bloodline that led to Jesus Christ. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the opportunity we have as Christians um, uh, to serve an amazing and almighty God. And we thank you for the redemption that you gave us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, be with us tonight. Take away all distractions. um, And we'll give you all the praise. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So before we get rolling on this, a couple um, um, quick announcements. Uh, Many of you received a card as you came in, um, talking about, are you an ambassador for Christ? And and it's talking about 
uh, a counseling training class that's going to be coming up. Uh, begins March 17th, and it's going to last for six weeks. Um, this training is for married couples to mentor other married couples who want to strengthen their marriage. Um, this class is no charge. If you're interested, please email Richard Grant, and his email is on the back of the card. Also, um, many of you knew uh, Ron Redmond, who, who has passed away, and his memorial service will be um, Saturday, February 22nd um, at 10 a.m., and it's going to be in room 104. So um, the memorial service will be Saturday, February 22nd, um, 10 a.m. in room 104. All right, so how many got the flyer or the flyer, the, the card tonight? Very good. If not, we have some in back. So let's let's get going. Um, the first five books of the Bible were all written by Moses. We've already gone through Genesis, and now we're we're in Exodus. Exodus is a story. Exodus basically means to flee, to leave. Um, so is the story of God's provision for His people. And remember, as the, as the Israelites entered into Egypt, they entered as seventy people, just a little bit over seventy people. And so God took what was just a family group and in 400 years placed them in what I would call an incubator, kept them safe from all other potential uh, mixing. And after about 400 years, they popped out a nation. They went from a family to a nation from about um, 70, 75, all the way up to about approximately 2 million people. Um, this is the only way possible for this to have happened and for um, these tribes to have been able to stay together. If they would have stayed in Palestine, they would have intermarried, they would have gone this way and that way, and all of a sudden it would become a melting pot and there wouldn't have been the Israelites. So this was actually a genius plan of God's to bring them down there. At the proper time, God chose a servant whose name was Moses, someone who was absolutely perfect for the job of leading his people out. Moses was 80 years old when God gave him the call at the burning bush. Moses was the opposite of Joseph. Joseph went from shepherd to prince of Egypt. Moses went from prince of Egypt on down to shepherd. But we found out, um, even just looking at the Bible, looking in, in Acts, looking um, in Hebrews, obviously looking um, in Exodus, Moses was the perfect person. He was well-educated. He was great um, in speech. Um, we can deduce from just knowing what um, princes of Egypt would have gone through, um, especially in the 18th dynasty and, and any of the dynasties in the New Kingdom, all princes were basically leaders in war. Okay, so all of them would have been well-versed in how to lead people um, and all that kind of stuff. Last week I talked about um, a historian named Josephus. Um, Josephus was a historian about... Um, 1 AD. Now, before we get going, I want to make something really clear. And we talked about this. We talked about it over and over at the mine. Um, but again, um, when we open the Bible, what's in the Bible, the scripture, that is what I would call an errant. Okay. Those are, it is God breathed there. It is without error. Anything else has a potential for error, for, for fable, for legend. Um, the, the maps, we found out this Sunday, even the maps in the back of your Bible could have errors in it because um, those weren't given by the Holy Spirit. If you have the NIV version, those were given by Zondervan Publishing Company. And so there is chance for error there. There's chance for error in your study Bibles and the notes. These are just other people's opinions. 
Same thing goes when we talk about extra-biblical research. Now, anytime you want to want to research and you want to look into history, and even in biblical history, yes, we should be able to use the Bible, and it should be the foundation. Um, but a skeptic's going to look at that, and, we, and the, the first time you say, well, well the Bible says so, they're going to say, well, you're circular reasoning. You can't say the Bible's true because the Bible says so. Um, and so we love to go outside the Bible and see where it fits into history, um, just to bring a little extra color. So I'd love to do that. Josephus was one of these that you can use. Um, later on, when we talk about Jesus, you can use Tacitus or Suetonius or any other history or historians back in that time. So I will preface this with... Josephus um, is a person who, yes, he was he was a he was a historian. He is classified as as a historian, but we need to know he was also hired by Rome, hired by Rome to write the story of a, a particular war. And in order to write the story of the war, he gave the Roman emperor a little bit of background on the Jewish people, and that's where we pull out the information that um, uh, Moses, according to Jewish tradition, was a general. Okay. He might not have been a general, but according to Jewish tradition, he was. But anytime you look at ancient historians, yes, there's a chance. Um, there's a chance for error. There's a chance for um, a, a certain group to be built up. Um, anybody who studied history, you've heard the terms "winners write history." So the winners of the wars get an opportunity to write the history of those wars, and so those will always be slanted to the winning side. The losers of the war, if they even have a chance or are alive to write their story, um, will often differ quite. A bit um, from the winners. A great example is World War II. Um, I love World War II. I've studied World War II. Um, very pro-American, obviously. Um, but I, I would be the first to admit: yes, the United States also did some bad things in World War II, as with any other war. Um, and a lot of those times, those are written out of the history books. So when we look back at um, history, we got to understand that winners write history, um, and that historians. Op- also practice in what's called revisionist history. They change it a little bit to fit their means. So you got to take what a historian says, um, and you got to really research it um, to make sure it cooperates. So um, that being said, um, anytime we use that, just remember it's it's not necessarily from the Bible, so there could be some error. But all right, so on with um, uh, Moses. He he, he um, uh, led the people out. Um, there was a. Um, um, the plagues that hit Egypt, we talked about Sunday, that the plagues each represented um, uh, a plague against a certain Egyptian god. Okay, God was making sure the Egyptians knew that their gods were nothing and he was everything. And so each one of those plagues was aimed at a different deity that the um, Egyptians would have worshipped. All the way down to the final plague, the death of the firstborn, which was aimed at all the deities, including um, the little demigod called the Pharaoh. Okay, And so... Um, th- that's what those were. Pharaoh finally relented. Um, he allowed um, the or the Israelites to go. They took all the the plunder of Egypt with them, and they left. They were liberated. They went across the Sinai Peninsula. We get to the great moment where um, they have their backs against the sea. Um, the Egyptian army is now bearing down on them. God splits the seas. The Israelites go through. And right at the opportune time, he um, brings the seas back together, killing um, the entirety of the um, Pharaoh's army, including the Pharaoh himself. Which Pharaoh that was, we don't know. Could have been Thutmosis III, it could have been Amenhotep II, or it could have been a Pharaoh from a totally different dynasty. So after that, um, there was much rejoicing for you Monty Python fans, but then we get into the the craziness um, that would ensue after that. 
Over the next few books in the Bible, we've got Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These were all written by Moses. These were all dealing with um, the Exodus. Leviticus was written for the priests. Okay, Leviticus, um, we know the priestly line is Levi. That's where we get Leviticus. Um, and these basically were rules and regulations, including the back part of Exodus, were a bunch of rules and um, that the Israelites had to go through in order to formalize and become God's people and become a nation. Um, we talked about Sunday, the, um, the 40 years from the time of the Exodus to the time they finally got to enter the Promised Land was like boot camp. How many... From the military in here. How many remember boot camp? Well, that was fun, huh? Okay, that's, that's Israel. That's what they were going through. They were going through God's boot camp. And so many of the laws that we see in Leviticus, and they're, they're hardcore and they're, they're to the point, many of those were aimed only and specifically at the Israelites. Okay? And so many of the laws were aimed at um, um, social, um, ceremonial. This is how you're going to worship. This is how you're going to carry yourself in society. This is how you're going to dress so you don't look like the rest of the um, the countries around. So everybody's going to, this is how you're going to bathe. This is how you're going to brush your teeth. A whole bunch of great, great laws. This is how long your beard is going to be. Um, all this kind of, kind of stuff. Uh, that's Leviticus. As we move on, we get to Numbers. Numbers is more of the history book. Numbers not only talks about the, the census and walks through the different people, but some of the great stories of those 40 years between the Exodus and the time where um, the Israelites head into the Promised Land are found in Numbers. So all those stories, and we're going to be in Numbers quite a bit today. And then we get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the entirety of the book, is basically three sermons. Moses gives three sermons on his deathbed, and that is Deuteronomy, okay? And then after that, we move on to post-Moses. So let's um, head on in. First thing we need to look at, go to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. And there's a key verse in here that I just want to point out. Um, Verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. When we look at Leviticus, yes, there are a bunch of rules over a whole bunch of different things, but here's one of the key things we want to look at, and this is the whole idea of atonement. And from Jesus, the cross, all the way back, and you can trace all the way back, really, to Genesis chapter 3, we have this idea of a blood atonement, this substitutionary atonement for man's sins. And so, in order to be, become righteous in front of God, um, and we all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, that means separation, so we've all been separated. And so, from that point on, when sin entered the world, all the way to the cross, everybody was pointed and focused towards the cross. Everything that was done was pointed towards the cross. Even the chronology, the theme, the thread 
that went through the Old Testament was following this bloodline all the way to the cross. Now, in order to pay the penalty of sin, it takes blood. It takes life blood. Now, ultimately, Jesus' blood shed on the cross would take care of all sin. Would take care of all sin. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So once we get to Jesus, once once he dies on the cross, his blood is shed. He's the innocent lamb. His blood is shed for mankind, for the sin, to pay that debt, to close that separation. From that point on, all the way till now, we look back at the cross. We're not pointing ahead. We're looking back to the cross. Okay, The cross is the focal point, the hinge point in all of history. Okay? So from Jesus on, his blood takes care of us. That's why we don't have a a, a gross, a sickening gross halter up here, okay? Jesus' blood has washed away our sins if we would just turn our life over to him. But before Jesus came, there had to be atonement for sin. There had to have been shed blood. And so what would happen is men and women would bring a lamb, and and go ahead and turn to Hebrews now, chapter 9. Hebrews is all the way towards the other end of the Bible, about 95% of the way through, right before James. Hebrews chapter 9. And we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We assume, just by the way it's written, that it was Paul. But Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look in verse 11. And it says, But when Christ came as high priest... Of the good things that are now already here, he went through through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of of this creation. So, in the Exodus, um, we'll find out really quick. Even though we're not going to talk about it tonight, I'm going to save that for Solomon's temple. But. The Israelites had to make a tabernacle and it had exact dimensions, exactly what things needed to look like. Here's where the Holy of Holies was. Here's where the brazen, all these type of things. And we'll get that um, to that in later studies. But when Jesus came, we no longer have to deal with those things that are made of earthly hands. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most hot, holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, not substitutionary, um, temporary redemption, but eternal redemption. The blood of the goats and bulls and the ashes, ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. How much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience um, from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, and those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom and set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So before Jesus... Before Jesus, mankind, to stay right with God, had to go through these ceremonies. Had, and there were a lot of ceremonies that we just don't have time at the mine or actually on Sunday morning to walk through each one. But they are fascinating. Okay, And so as the Israelites, the two million or so of them, are going through the desert, 
They are built, they have a tabernacle that they can put up, that they can break down. They go through in ranks and order by tribe. And so it's a fascinating study of what this group of people had to do ultimately for 40 years. And it is a testament to Moses' leadership that he was able to keep this um, all under control. Now, on your handout, you have um, 12, actually 13 lines. Again, I'm not going to talk too much about the tabernacle, but here is how. When, when they would walk through and they would place camp, they would always set up according to their tribes. And so I'll go through these real quick, and I actually did the lines wrong. On the top, the top three, the first one would be Asher. The second would be Dan. If you need to know how to spell these, Genesis 35, 23 through 26. The third one would be Naphtali. So Asher would have been on, as you're looking at the paper, to the left. Naphtali would have been to the right. Dan would have been at the top, the head, north. Okay? You go over to the right here. Would be Issachar, Judah, and Zebulun. So on the top, you got Asher, Dan, and Naphtali. On the right side would be Issachar, Judah, and Zebulun. On the very bottom... You would have Gad, Reuben, and Simeon. Reuben would have been in the middle. Gad would have been on the left. Simeon would have been on the right. And then on the far left, you would have Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Now, let's go back. Let's look at Genesis 35 real quick. Genesis 35, 23. And I know we are flying way back in time here. Here's a list of Jacob's 12 sons. Now remember, Jacob's name was turned to, changed to Israel. These are the sons of Leah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, the last two that were born, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. All right, so those are the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel. Anybody, just raise your hand, anybody see any difference here between the 12 that we just read in Genesis and the actual 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Should be a couple names missing. Where's Joseph? And where's Levi? All right, well, Levi is in that middle line. And I'll tell you why in a second. And then Joseph is represented on the bottom two lines on the left, Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph got a double blessing and so his two sons each became their own tribe so joseph's represented through his two sons those are the 12 tribes of israel and then levi is in the middle we remember the story um moses is up he's getting the law from god and while he's up there the israelites are down below being idiots and they convince aaron to build them a golden calf and they start partying on it or a whole bunch of nasty things and so they build this 
this calf towards the end, as God is done giving the law, he tells Moses, look at what your people are doing. Moses goes down, his anger burns. And then we get to a, a pretty important um, um, passage. Turn to, if you're already there, turn to Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verse 26. We'll go back to 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so, and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. He stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all, you can underline all, and all the Levites rallied to him. From that point on, the Levites became the priestly line because 100% of them decided to live for God. No other tribe had 100% of the people come up and say, I'm on God's side. They all had a mixture of I'm on God's side or I'm on my own side. The Levites were the only ones that had 100% of them say, I'm for God. So God said, you're my priests. And from that point on, Levi is the priestly tribe. So there in the middle, the other 12 are on the outside. And these 12 would be the 12 tribes of Israel that, that go all the way up. And we'll get to it at a different point when they finally divide around um, just after Solomon. Okay, so those are the 12 tribes of Israel. They would line up and they would, they would um, journey just like that. Okay, so let's move into Numbers here. Numbers chapter 13. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Let me read that again. Which I am giving, God said, I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. And it walks down who their names are. of their names and then go down to 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They were there. They reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to, to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And there's probably a lot of rejoicing, but The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites lived in the give, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all the ites were there. Go down to 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. So the story keeps getting bigger. We saw Nephilim there. Uh Uh-oh. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. 
We seemed like grasshopper, or they, or we seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so the people were, the, the report came back. You had two that were like, yeah, let's go get it. Why? Because God gave it to us and God's on our side and look at what God's already done. And yeah, these are big, but can you imagine standing there complaining about these cities and these people? At some point, someone had to say, wait a second, didn't we just leave Egypt, the greatest civilization to that point the power of pharaoh and his armies there is no way anybody in canaan looked like that but yet they got worried and the stories got bigger whether there were nephilim there i doubt it they probably saw a couple andre the giants who knows they got scared they lacked faith Here God has shown power left and right. 400 years of silence and then God goes boom and over and over and over and over again he protects the Israelites. And this isn't like many years removed. This just happened. He had promised them this. This is the land he promised all the way back to Abraham. And they flinched. And can I tell you that even today We as Christians come to moments where we need to go and we flinch. We lack faith. I remember the first time at Hamilton High School, we'd have, we'd have meetings about, hey, we need to get into a building because we're tired of smelling milk and, and just, you know, all those things that you don't like about our school. And, and in order to grow, we need, we need to have a place that's, that's seven days a week and on and on and on. And over and over and over again, I kept hearing people, oh, we can't afford it. Oh, that's too much sacrifice. Oh, we can't do it. But thank goodness, enough of the people and the leadership said, you know what? With God, anything can happen. And that building over there was built. And the same thing happened about five, six years later when we were building this building. There were people out there going, ah, we shouldn't do it. This is, this is Okay. We, we can all fit in here. Who cares about the people that don't go here? But we built. And each time we obeyed God, God added to the numbers of those who believed. I'll be honest, Cornerstone sits at another moment right now where we can either say, yeah, duh, God is for us. Or we can go, ah, I'm awful comfortable. This is what was happening. And God finally looked and said, Sorry. And for 40 years, they were made to wander. And we look in Numbers 14, starting in verse 26, and and we see how God is is saying, you know what? None of you are going to come in. None of you who balked, none of you who flinched, you're not going to see the promised land. Everybody 20 and up, you're not going to see the promised land. This desert is where your bones will stay. Could you imagine how defeating that was? Could you imagine Moses? Moses, talk to the bush. He went, okay, fine. He went, all these things. And God showed up. Imagine the exhilaration as, as as the Israelites are crossing the river. We made it. 
And Moses is there. And all right, we're going to go to the promised land. And then the people are like, and then when God said, no, you're not. Imagine how defeating that was for the leadership. 40 years in the desert. We call that the wandering, the desert wandering. And, and this happened in modern day Saudi Arabia. Okay, I believe, I believe 99% of my brain believes that this did not happen in the Sinai Peninsula. Because that was owned by Egypt. This happened in Saudi Arabia. Which makes sense because when they finally did come to the promised land, they came from the east. Not up the way you would come if you were coming from Saudi Arabia. So they're wandering. And we can't go through every story in the wandering, but here's what you need to know. Israelites grumbled. God would provide, they would complain. God would provide, they would complain. Please let us go back to Egypt. Please let us go back into bondage. We look, go up to Numbers chapter 21. And real quick, we don't have time to really drop anchor, but in chapter 20... Moses finally slips up and God commands him like he's done before. We see in Exodus chapter 17, God said, go strike the rock and water will flow. Well, again, he tells him to do it again because the Israelites are grumbling. We don't have water. And so Moses, I don't know if he was tired or just, but he was disobedient. He disobeys what God says. God says, strike it once and talk to the rock and proclaim in front of the whole assembly Moses, the way he did it, and you can read it here, sort of brought glory to himself and Aaron. Must we bring water out for you? And he struck it twice. It did not set well with God. Water still came out, but God looked at Moses and said, because you have sinned, you will not be able to go into the promised land. So that's where the incident of Moses' sin happens. But let's get to chapter 21. This is a great story. Verse 4. And this is the Israelites. They traveled from Mount Mount Ord along the route of the Red, uh, to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way, as they always do. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? How many know people like that, that just right in the middle of, of things that get a little frustrating, they're the first ones to start chirping? Anybody know someone like that? Could be in the mirror. I don't know. If you don't know someone like that, it's probably in the mirror. Um, There is no bread. I love this statement, by the way. There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Say what? There is no food, but we hate this food. And here's why God rules. Maybe it's just because I'm a guy. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes. Yes. Among them, they bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So all these snakes are going through. People grumbling. God says, here you go, have snakes. Okay, and they started biting them. People are dying. There's panic. They come back to Moses again. Please. And God, Moses comes back to God. God says, all right, take a snake, 
make a bronze one, put it up on a pole and hold it up. If anyone will look up at the, at the, the snake, they will live. If they don't, they will die. Now I'm assuming there's a bunch of people that said, Hey, we got to go. There's a way out. Just, just all you have to do is look. And they said, nah, it's not for me. Take the kids. Turn to John chapter three. Some of you are already excited. Ooh, my memory verse, my memory verse. John chapter 3. First, we're going to read the most read verse probably in all the Bible, aside from the first verse, because a lot of people quit after. John 3, verse 16. Can you even see this at football games? I don't know if this is Dayton. Remember back in the 70s, the guy with the, the rainbow wig always held up? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Probably the most read, most memorized verse in all of scripture. And because of that, I think the verses right before it are probably the least read because everybody's like, oh, here comes my verse, here comes my verse. Let's look, let's go back a little bit. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's explaining to him what it means to be born again. And then he gets to this verse. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. I remember reading that verse going, that makes zero sense to me. Got to love the word. And then I just got into the verse. Wasn't until... Way, way, way after I became a Christian, that someone said, have you ever looked at the source of that verse? And they took me back to Numbers 21. And I went, oh, just as Moses lifted up this snake in the desert, put that snake on a pole on a cross and said, just look and believe and you will live. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, who obviously would know that story, that's what, hap- that, that's what ha- has to happen to me. I came to earth for no other reason than to hang up on the cross that if anyone would believe in me, they would be saved and not perish. This story in Numbers is so powerful. Is so powerful. As many of the stories in Numbers and Exodus and throughout the Old Testament, because many of the stories are a foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the cross. And I thought I'd just toss some of these pictures on it. That's why the emergency medical field has the snake on the pole. I don't know if anybody ever caught that. Because it gives life. That's what it represents. It comes straight out of, straight out of the Bible. So, the Israelites... Go through the desert. They get to, they finally, after 40 years, a generation has passed. Moses is not allowed, well, Aaron has already died, but Moses is not allowed into the promised land. Moses, pretty much on his deathbed, writes Deuteronomy, his last three sermons. And Deuteronomy is powerful because it sums up who God is. It sums up what's happened 
It sums up the entire journey. And one of my favorite pieces is Deuteronomy chapter 6. And for anybody in here who has a Jewish background, you've got this memorized. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 1, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you will be crossing uh, to the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands I have given or I've given you. And so that you may enjoy long life, hear Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly and in the land filled or flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors promised you. And then here's a powerful verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This begins what's called the Shema. Shema in um, Hebrew means hear. And any Jewish um, person, as they're entering the temple, they will say the Shema. Jewish children are taught the Shema. They've got it memorized. It means everything to them. And here's what the Shema is. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ehad. Shema. Shema means hear. Yisrael is O Israel. Adonai, the Lord. Eloheinu. Our God, Adonai, the Lord, Ehad. Even though they go, Ehad, I don't, I can't do that. Ehad, Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Ehad. There, you learned some Hebrew. <laughs> That's the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, and, Deuteron- and the rest of Deuteronomy is a powerful, powerful book. When Jesus is tempted in the desert by Satan, he's tempted with three distinct temptations, and we've talked about this. Satan's three-pronged battle plan. And we talked that Jesus returns each one of them by quoting Scripture. All three times he quotes Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a powerful book. Amazing end to the journey the Israelites had to the promised land. Moses would die. He would never enter into the promised land. God buried his body himself. Um, Moses, to put a close on him, is one of the greatest humans to ever walk the earth. Fascinating man. First 40 years grew up, was spared as a baby by God's divine hand, was thrust into the one of the most powerful dynasties, most likely, in the history of Egypt, became a prince of Egypt for 40 years, grew in knowledge and speech and leadership. Throughout the New Testament, you quote after quote after quote, Moses, Moses, Moses. The next 40 years as he flees Egypt to Midian, 
He spent the first 40 years training at the best schools the world can offer and the next 40 years training in the best school God can offer. In the lone silence under the stars, tending sheep. The same training David would receive 500 years later. And it was that training that David was given the confidence and the faith to know that Goliath was no match for God. Moses had faith. At 80 years old, God called him to service. How many of you are under 80 here? All right. God still probably has a plan. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're not over 80, you're like, oh, man. No. (laughs) But Moses received his call at 80 years old. And for the next four, I mean, really put yourself in Moses' sandals. You are walking across back into Egypt where they wanted to kill you. A place you fled. A place you thought you'd never go back to. You left all the comfort of your family, of your job. God said, take your job and throw it down. I want it all. Moses obeyed. By faith, God enabled him. Moses was used to topple one of the great civilizations. Moses led millions of people, teachers. You know what a class of 32 looks like. Imagine leading a nation of 2 million people that are complaining the entire time, in the middle of the desert, out of comfort, putting up with it over and over and over again. And then Moses finally gets to the end, And he sums it up in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. Powerful stuff. And so next week or or Sunday, um, we're going to transition out of the Exodus, out of the first five books of the Bible, and start moving into the conquest. And we're going to see what happens at the conquest and, and how... How Joshua now is going to take this ridiculous group of people and turn them into a nation. We're going to see some of the mistakes and some of the great moments. Um, and that will move us right on into the, the judges. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend all our time in this 500-year span between Moses and David. So everything after this and before we get to David happens somewhere between 1500 and 1000 BC. So it's a powerful story. Again, we, we can't cover everything here at the mine. Um, a lot of stuff to learn within there. But again, it all comes back down to what the Bible is. The Bible is a story about Jesus being revealed, the redeemer of mankind. That's the story, the revealing of Jesus Christ. And so everything points to Jesus and everything leads, and, and it's, again, it's so fun to look back now and go, man, God's a genius how he pulled these things off. There's no way I would have ever thought of that myself. Hence, I'm not God. So, I guess the encouragement for us today is to remember, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. God can use murderers. God can use drunkards, rapists, liars, adulterers. I mean, Look at Hebrews chapter 11, all those lists, which Moses is one of them, God used because, and we say this all the time, because we humble ourselves and allow God to take control. 
And if you do that in your life, it doesn't matter if you're, you're 12 years old in here tonight or you're 80 or it doesn't matter. God will use you at the moment you finally say, here, go, let me do whatever you want with my life. Here's my job. Here's my life. Here's my future. Here's my family. Here's all the training I've had both in the world and in church. Here's everything. God use it and God will move. I have, I'm so excited for what's going to be happening here at Cornerstone. There's a lot of things on the horizon. And it's not because any of the staff are great or anybody that goes to the church are great, even though we all are pretty cool. Um, It's because people submit themselves to God's authority and God moves. And so that's my challenge to you. Uh, Moses is a great example of that. All right, let's close in prayer and then I'll try to answer some questions. Obviously, we flew through. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you so much um, for who you are. We thank you for men like Moses. We thank you for the courage, the faith, um, the perseverance. Heavenly Father, I I just pray that I'm even 1% of what Moses was. Heavenly Father, I, I, I thank you for each and every heart and soul that's in this room, for those that are listening online. And I, I just pray that each and every one of us will take stock of who we are and realize that no matter, no matter how much we try, we can't do it on our own. And that if we would just submit and humble ourselves and allow you to take control of our lives, you will do amazing things through us. Because when you enable your church to have faith, mountains are moved. Heavenly Father, Cornerstone has a lot of mountains still to move. I pray that you give us wisdom to see things the way you see them. Give us faith, not to retreat from the battle, but to fight and go forward. Heavenly Father, many of us, our families are facing battles. Many of us, we are facing battles as individuals. Give us the wisdom and the power not to retreat from those battles, but to fight and move forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who won the ultimate battle. We thank you that we can now point back to the cross and look upon it and see that the creator of the world laid down his life for us, took upon himself our sin, and with his blood washed our sins clean. Heavenly Father, I pray that as Christians, we never, ever, ever forget what happened at the cross. Heavenly Father, I also pray for those in here that might not know you. I thank you that they're here. I thank you that they're researching. Um, Give them the courage to keep asking the questions. And Heavenly Father, for those of us in here that, that do know you, again, give us the burden to go out and tell people about you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for um, the mind. We thank you for um, all those people that are working behind the scenes to make um, tonight happen. Uh, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Any questions um, from tonight? Um, try to avoid anything um, about the tabernacle or, or some of the things that we're going we're gonna to cover um, in the future. Um, I tried to spread some of this out knowing that we would be rehitting it again. Um, anything out there? Oh, yes. Hello. Hi. I love Moses, and uh-huh. I feel like a grumbling Israelite a lot, so uh-huh. I relate to that story. Okay. Um, so here's what I'm struggling with. After you exclaimed over all of Moses's achievements, and then I, I struggle with the fact that he didn't get to go into the promised land. After everything he did, mm-hmm. it is 
hard to look at that small mistake mm-hmm. that he made, and is that just for us to learn about humility or mm-hmm. taking praise, you know, and not honoring God? Is that the lesson that we're supposed to take from that? Yeah, as you look at that, I mean, you can read it, and, and I agree that that's a tough one. Um, and you go, oh my goodness. This, this guy has done all this and, and he's tired and he didn't have his coffee and he does this and, and, um, and we all mess up. Um, I, I, we take mission trips all the time and I tell, I tell the people as we head out on a mission trip, at some point over the next two weeks, you're going to have one of those gobstopper moments where you grab the candy and you, and, and you do something dumb and, and, and that's okay. God will meet you where you're at. And, and, and that incident with Moses, um, yeah, it seemed trivial, but here's the deal. Things that aren't corrected in boot camp will get a lot of people killed in the war. And in this one particular spot in history, Israel was in boot camp. And even more so, Moses was the leader. And what he did, yes, it it, it was a mistake. But in front of all of Israel, he took credit for what God has done and brought it to himself. He disobeyed how God, he just slapped, and he, and so even though it seems trivial, it was actually huge. And God had, could not, because God's a holy God, could not let that pass. Because if he would have let that pass, you know what the two million people would have done? Huh. Okay, well, and so it's tough. It's tough, especially when leaders are held to a higher standard. Um. I'll tell you that when Moses got to the end and he was able to at least look, um, I think Moses was a lot in a lot better shape after he closed his eyes for the last time. And he finally said, I'm here. Um, and, um, but yeah, there's some tough moments and I'll be the first to say skeptics are going to zero in on these five books in the Bible more than any other five books. Um, if anybody know the, the um, Richard Dawkins, you just read that first paragraph of, of God delusion and he, he calls God some serious names. Um, and, and there are some tough stories, um, in numbers. There's some tough stories in Exodus of entire nations being wiped out. But again, um, this was a time where a nation was being formed. And a lot of times, oh, that's just not fair that God did that not only to Moses, but to these other nations and even the, even the women and children. But again, God is God and we got to allow God to be God. And God knew. And a lot of these, we, we sort of give a pass to a lot of these nations that fought against Israelites. These nations were horrific, horrific. They were sacrificing their children. They had, it was a bad place and God was passing judgment on these people. And so, yeah, but there, there's some tough stories in there, but it, it again, it, it's boot camp. I guess that's the best way I can explain it. Um, and, and so Moses had, had, had to pay that price. But again, I think Moses, um, once he died, he, um, he, he was in a better place and, and I'm actually, I'm really thrilled. Um, not only am I thrilled to see Jesus in heaven, but there, there's some people I just want to go, you're awesome. <laughs> you know, I just, seriously. Um, cause there, there's, I mean, all these guys lined up here, crazy, crazy cool. And again, we say it, oh, well, forget him, but, but these guys all make mistakes. Okay. This guy's a pretty good guy too, but these guys all just messed up in horrific ways, but God met them where they were at at one point in time. All right. Any other questions? Yes.
hey, it's cool to see Santan without just assuming you're in some visual world. So <laughs> thank you guys for coming out. Hi. Hello. Well, this story happens to be one of my favorites. And the reason why is because when realizing that it was only supposed to be a week journey, mm-hmm. it ended up being a whole generation. Yeah. That's what blows my mind. Yeah, that, that 40 years was only supposed to be a short time. And then they flinched. They flinched. I can't tell you how many times I've looked back at churches and I've been associated with some, get to a moment in history, flinch. And a lot of those churches don't exist anymore. Or a lot of those churches are still in the same small area and they haven't gone to where God has promised them to go. That's, I mean, I'm not just saying this because he'll probably listen to this someday, but Lynn is a phenomenal leader and Lynn has taken some steps to make sure that he's obedient to God and that he's led people to say, we have to have faith. And he's done some risky things. And yet God has come behind and multiplied. Is Lynn perfect? No. Am I perfect? No. Uh, <laughs> but I'm serious. Um, there's moments in every one of our lives, not only individually, but as churches, what, what Lynn would actually call a hinge point. And if we act right, God will bless. If we act wrong, some things that should only take a week are going to take 40 years. So, anything else? We've got probably time for one more and then we'll go get our kaboomers. I just have a comment about um, God going into and having tribes destroyed and things like that because the sins of the forefather got carried forward and I think he was it's his form of love to try to clean out the clans so that they could have a better a better grade of people moving forward. Mm-hmm. Is that part of it? Why he killed? Why so many people were killed? I mean, you take the firstborn of all the animals, male, and firstborn of all the humans that they killed. That's mm-hmm. a lot of people. I mean, oh, yeah. this has got to be a love to God. But this is, if this is a love, we just can't fathom that. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, there's some tough moments. And, and we see that in Exodus. I mean, you want to talk about mass killing right here. And this is a big one. But again, God is God. God is the creator of the universe. God knows things um, past, present, and future. He knows what those people will decide. He knows all these things. And he knows what what needs to be cut out here so the cancer doesn't spread to here. And so, and especially with Israel, he was really hardcore on them in the beginning because they had to develop into a nation. Why? Because they were carrying the bloodline. They were, that's why he, was worried about what was happening with Israel and not so much what was happening all over the rest of the world. And the rest of the world was living. The rest of the world was moving. 1500, Stonehenge was finally done. Um, 1500, we started seeing civilizations in central Mexico. Um, and so w- the rest of the world is starting to do things. And it's coming out of the habitable zone of the Middle East. But God and the Bible is focused on on this. And so, yes, he's going to be really hardcore on those of his people to make sure they grow into what they're supposed to. The people that oppose God 
he's going to be quick to justice. And in many cases, he used the Israelites to administer um, that justice. These people were not innocent people. Okay, these people were not innocent people. Um, and so God warned them in the past. He warned them again. And eventually, he got rid of them. Okay, um, Are there tough calls? Yes, it, it is tough to see entire nations um, disappear because that includes children. But we can't play God. And to be honest, all those children that died are in heaven now as compared to what they would have been most likely growing up. So we don't know God's plan in the future as humans and as believers. We just got to put our faith into God that he is omnipotent, um, omniscient, and he knows all. And he is a God of love. So, so. All right, well, let's close in prayer and then we'll let you go. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you um, um, again for tonight. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you be with us this week. Protect us, guide us, and give us your wisdom to see things exactly how you see them. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Um, um, we give him all the glory. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you guys for hanging out. Um, see you next week. See you Sunday if you come on Sunday.